Welcome to Behind the Standards with United Rentals. This is the podcast where we discuss construction safety, typically trench excavation and confined space safety, but also other topics that deal with general job site safety as well. I'm Rick Plasinski, Customer Training Specialist, and back with me again is Chad Lindsley. Chad, thanks for returning to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So today our goal is to explain the difference between shielding and shoring. A lot of people call us up and they say, we need some shoring. What those people may not understand is that there's a difference between shoring and shielding. Both are effective in their individual applications, but they do in fact have separate applications. So let me start first by asking, Chad, what's the difference? Yeah, so to your point, uh, the term is used interchangeably in the industry quite a bit. Um, I'm even guilty myself sometimes of doing it. So, um, so the idea of of the OSHA standard and the types of protective systems that we're allowed to use is obviously sloping, benching, shoring, and shielding. And there's a quite a bit of difference between shielding and shoring. So, to to start off, they both are going to protect our workers, and that's the number one thing that we want to do is protect our employees while working in the excavations and or trenching. But the the shielding devices are basically a static device that once employed, it's going to protect those workers. And the difference between that and the shoring is the shoring is actually going to exert positive pressure against the sidewalls of the excavations and or trenches. And number one, they're going to protect our employees like we just said. But secondly, what it's going to do is not allow any ground loss or any ground movement. So you're in a situation where there's curbs, gutters, sidewalks, active traffic, railroads, any of that type of stuff or structures that we can't afford to have any ground loss and, uh, and, and have any movement, so to speak, that's when you move to a positive shoring system, something that's going to exert positive pressure against the sidewalls, as opposed to a static type system, which is a shield. So are all shoring systems built the same or are there different ones for different applications? Yeah, so there's lightweight stuff like vertical hydraulic shores that are used in uh, smaller applications, uh, linear trench runs that are narrow, up to about 12 feet sometimes. Um, then there's also very large, um, I would say more on the the side of uh, site-specific applications where we might employ uh, our super mega brace or our mega brace with struts and that type of stuff. And then there's stuff in between. It just depends on the application, site conditions, the, the, actually the scope of the project in which you're doing and what you're installing. A lot of our customers use what we call hydraulic shores, right? Those are those hydraulic cylinders that go across. Are those acceptable for all types of surcharges that might actually be applied to the sides, or are there some limitations there too? There's limitations with all um, shoring systems for manufacturers, and that's where tabulated data comes into play. So we always want to make sure that we're looking at the shoring and or shielding devices that we're using, because those are going to be coming with manufacturers tabulated data, and that's going to lay out what you can and cannot do with that piece of apparatus, so to speak, to uh, as as it pertains to a protection um, device. So we want to make sure that we're reading the tabulated data. There are some situations where there may be uh, allowable surcharges of a spoil pile, so to speak. Um, um, some things might call out where there's no surcharge loads. So all of that type of applications need to be consulted with the tabulated data in order to make sure that the systems that you're using 
are compliant and they're used appropriately. Common application that I get asked about is if someone is cutting into the middle of a roadway and maybe they have the the, the lane right next to that lane where they're, they're cutting into, maybe they have that blocked off. So there's no traffic, no vibration being created. There's really no weight or pressure that's being applied to the ground right next to where that excavation is, at least from a standpoint of vehicles, equipment, et cetera. Can you use a simple shield system that extends above the top of that roadway? Or do you need some type of you know, shoring system that is going to support the sides of that excavation? Yeah, so once again, you want to make sure that you're consulting that tabulated data. Um, a lot of times, just to use an example, some of the tabulated data will say that if the surcharge load is opposite of the adjacent area of the trench, and that adjacent area is usually the depth of the trench in all four directions. So if you're outside of that, then that surcharge load of that active road that may be a lane over could be completely eliminated from that standpoint of just moving it over. And if that's the case, then maybe a shoring system would not be required. If that's the case, then you would be able to do possibly a linear run of trench boxes, depending on the depths in which you're at and, and the lengths of pipe that you're installing or, or the structures you're installing. That could be a steel shield. It could be a, an aluminum shield or whatever it might be. But once again, always going back to consult that tabulated data to make sure that the adjacent areas are followed um, and that you're always making sure that that... Uh, is is a compliant solution for the the application that you have. What common situations do you find, for example, where a shield is being used when shoring should actually be, you know, be applied, or and vice and or vice versa? Yeah. So a lot of times, the typical application that you'll see shields being used inappropriate is. When you kind of go back to that idea, what I said about adjacent structures and stuff like that are active roads. So linear runs of pipe in the middle of a road where maybe there's only two or three feet from the edge of the excavation and maybe you have a jersey wall right there and there's active, active uh, traffic, so to speak, right on the other side of it. For the most part, those are applications where shoring should be consulted at that point as opposed to a shielding device. The other thing is when you get into highly congested areas where there's a lot of existing utilities, uh, there's a lot of areas where you, you have to support those utilities um, and or you're hitting uh, situations where you're, you're butting up against an existing foundation and or footer. Um, we all know you can't afford to have any ground loss underneath of a footing on whether it's a, you know, maybe it's a structure or a duck bank or something like that. We need to make sure that we're supporting those utilities. Once again, the number one Thing that all of this stuff is meant for is to, to protect our employees. Um, but when we start thinking about the characteristics of our job sites and stuff like that, that's when we need to start really thinking about what, what it is that our goal is. We need to protect the employees, obviously, but we may also need to be able to protect those, those assets around the employees. Both of them are effective in, in keeping employees safe in the trenches and excavations. But at the same time, what we want to point out is that one is a passive type of system and one is an active type of system, right? A shield will protect you from a cave-in that's going to take place. The shoring prevents the cave-in from happening. Again, both of them are effective in their applications, but they do have separate applications. So what information should people have when they're calling into the shop and they're saying, hey, I need this, I need that, uh, I need some shoring equipment? 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of times you want to just start off with the basics, uh, what depth you're at, what width you're at, how long of an excavation and or trench are you are you digging and stuff like that. And then the, then the thought process goes to where am I at? Am I in an active uh, road? Am I up against active rail um, uh, rail rail yards and stuff like that, or railroads in general? Am I am I going next to an existing structure? And those things could be the smallest things in the world. It could be existing trees. It could be existing curbs or gutters or any of that type of stuff on a, on a on a roadway and stuff. So all of those things need to come into question. The other thing is, you may ask, do I have any overhead restrictions? Um, if, if I'm moving big steel shields around and stuff and, and all things being equal, I can use that. But do I have enough room to actually install the, the apparatus that I'm trying to use? So all those things come into play. And that's where you, you want to try to figure out exactly, once again, the very minimum is length, width, and height. But then we start asking what, what type of environmental factors do we have? A prime example of that is vertical hydraulic shores you can use in C60 soil, but you can't use in C80 soil. And typically that C80 soil is that running sand or there's a lot of water presence and stuff. So we don't want to try to force those types of applications or protective systems, I should say, into those applications. So those are some of the things that you want to take into account. Um, a lot of it comes down to the simple thing is, is length, the depth, the width of it. And then we start asking ourselves, are we are we are we doing more than just trying to protect our employees? Are we trying to protect any other assets that are around our, our excavations and or trenches? And think about this too, when you're ordering a piece of equipment and you're ordering a 10 by 24 foot steel shield and all you have is a Bobcat 325 mini excavator, exactly. you better have something a little bit bigger to maneuver that sucker around because that weighs over 15,000 pounds. Yeah, hundred percent. So the the size of the equipment and stuff like that definitely comes into play. Um, the other thing that comes into play when you're talking about that is maybe the the proper use of the protective system, whether it's a shielding or a shoring system, could help you actually downsize the equipment that you're you're needing. So if you're renting um, and or you're owning that equipment, maybe the the use of a smaller machine. We start going into cost savings at that particular point, and, and it also leads into a production standpoint. I'm a firm believer that the use of shielding and shoring systems in a proper manner um, not only increases your ability to be safer, but it also should increase your productivity. Are there shields out there that would actually support the sides of the excavation and perhaps could you know play a dual role in some cases? Absolutely. So um, the use of aluminum hydraulic shields, and basically what that is, is a two-sided aluminum uh, shield or trench box um, instead of the static or passive spreaders that are in normal shields. Uh, we now move to a telescoping um, hydraulic cylinder with inside of a oversleeve, so to speak, and it acts as a positive pressured system that way. So you could drop that trench box into your excavation as you normally would. And then you move to either an electric pump or a hand pump that we would typically use with our vertical hydraulic shores or whalers or even manhole brace systems. And, and then you pump it out. And so that gives you the best of both worlds. We're now obviously, once again, the most important thing, protecting our workers, but we're protecting that ground movement as well. So that moves to the preventative thing as opposed to just the protection side of things. 
And you could use it just as a static trench shield like you would a normal trench shield with the static spreaders. You could just theoretically put that into the into the trench if that is all that is required. Yeah, 100%. And that and you're if you're running a linear run of pipe, maybe you're maybe the needs in one spot where you're using the boxes does require you to prevent any ground movement, but you could be 60 feet down that trench run and now it's not needed. So the the act of depressurizing that box off the sidewalls, moving it to the next area in which it's required, maybe that area doesn't require that. So now you can drop that in there um, with no need to pump out. You can backfill, which we always should be doing with our with our trench shields and such. And you know, obviously, get your ladder in there and get in there and do the work that that's required. So, are there any additional thoughts when it comes to? shielding, shoring, any important points that that the customers really should be aware of when they're talking about what system do they use? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to we start getting into bigger applications. I think that's where we want to make sure that we're we're consulting. Obviously, the manufacturer's tabulated data, that's key, but there's going to be a time with all of these uh, protective systems that we could move to a site-specific requirement um, and just because it's a manufactured system doesn't mean that it it it's, it it can't be used in a site specific application. In fact, the vast majority of of, uh, of site specific applications a lot of times do, do use manufactured systems as well. So, just knowing when and where to use them is is key. But I think the the biggest thing is always just knowing that we obviously have to protect our workers, and that's key. That's number one. But when we get to the point where something on that job site dictates the fact that we can't have or afford to have any ground loss, that's when you're going to move to that positive pressured system or what we call a shoring system. And that's where the experience of a trained, competent person who understands how to navigate through tabulated data, as you've discussed a couple of times, is key because it is that trained, competent person that needs to understand what the what the conditions are on that site if you have changing conditions, and then likewise, be able to satisfy the requirements in the tabulated data. And I, I think something key with the tabulated data, and we talk about this a lot of times when we're when we're discussing competent person responsibilities and stuff like that. It is key for them to understand the tabulated data, but it's I think it's human nature for us to automatically gravitate towards the tables and charts and stuff like that in the tabulated data. Because at the end of the day, what that's telling us to do is what's allowing us to do our job. That's what's telling us how deep we could go with a, a trench shield. Or in the case of a vertical hydraulic shore, it's telling us and in B soil, I could have, you know, eight foot on center uh, horizontal spacing uh, at, at zero to 10 feet, any of that type of stuff. So what it's doing is is that that gives us the tools to be able to do our job, so to speak. But we really need to read the fine print. We need to know that you can you're it's required to backfill with trench shields or um, the spoil pile or tools, all that type of stuff needs to be back two foot. That's those are OSHA regulations, but those are also also in the tabulated data. And, and a lot of times, sometimes the manufacturer's tabulated data goes above and beyond what the OSHA standard might say. So, and if you're using that apparatus, you need to comply with that tabulated data. 
I like to say it all the time, you know, the, that tabulated data, that user guide for that protective system is just as important and the, as the spreaders and the panels themselves. And if your competent person training doesn't include a, a review of tabulated data, if you don't understand that document, you don't know whether that system is actually going to keep you safe or not. And, and that can come down to life and death. It's the lifeblood of those apparatuses, those, uh, those safety, uh, uh, equipment um, and shoring and shielding require it from manufacturers um, or even the site-specific applications. Reading the fine print and, and knowing the tools in which you're working on, just like you would know the backhoe or the excavator or the ca capacities of a crane or what you're doing, there's capacities and limitations to all of this stuff and knowing those is going to be key to utilizing them safely, compliantly, um, and once again, should increase your productivity. So this has been Behind the Standards with United Rentals. If you have any questions about this topic or have suggestions about other topics that you may want to be discussed, feel free to send an email to urtspodcast at ur.com. For additional content and training information, go to trenchsafetyevents.com. I want to thank Chad Lindsley for being with me today. And on behalf of Chad and myself, thank you for listening. Have a great day and stay safe.